This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hey guys, my name is Rich Hake, and I am owner of Alpha Social Media and host of the Let's Talk Social podcast. I have been in digital media for 15 years now. I started in web design 15 years ago and have been in social media marketing for a decade now. The reason I'm a person speaking on this podcast about this subject today is because our company manages over 100 social media platforms for businesses across all different industries. We've built well over 150 websites. We've created 30 plus brands and do photo shoots, video shoots, and all that kind of stuff on a very regular basis for our clients. And we have navigated the last decade or so going through all of the evolution of the social media channels and everything. And so today I'm going to be speaking with Karin on how to help you guys with your social media channels. Okay. Thank you so much for being here to begin with. Before I forget to say that, Rich, there was so many good things just in your introduction that I'm going to try to remember to expand on. First of all, the idea of the evolution of social media like that, I, I feel like there's a lot of people that aren't even really recognizing how much it has changed. But before we go any further, real quick, the topic for today and the title of the show is LinkedIn or out is the platform overrated for legal marketing. So we're going to talk about social media. We're going to talk about the platforms. Obviously, when it comes to legal marketing, that has a lot to do with LinkedIn, because I feel like that's the big one where most lawyers feel most comfortable. And it's just kind of got the, the most weight for a lot of lawyers in the legal industry. But let's first talk about social media broadly and why that it's important, because I, I do think there's a good chunk of the legal industry and lawyers who are a little fearful of it and they just don't really appear and they're just not present on any platform. So let's talk about why that's not a great idea and how they can do it in a safe way. Sure. Yeah. So we, we always try to train our clients to understand the idea of like a digital storefront. And so especially like lawyers and higher upper end services, you typically spend a good amount of time and money getting a physical presence in a place put together because you want to give them a high end experience, make the services worth it and everything. But it tends to seem, you know, the generations coming into social media and they're kind of behind the eight ball on it is you know, they're really not focused on digital. And so when people show up to their digital storefront, sometimes there's nothing there at all. And so the analogy I always always give is like, would you like during open business hours, have your sign off and the doors locked and shut and paint ripping off the walls? And it's like, no, you wouldn't. So typically you want a nice experience for people to come to on the website and same with social media. Social media is such a big part of the consumer's like process when it comes to decision making, when it comes to like choosing brands or services or companies they want to work with. And so something that we really try to emphasize with social media specifically is trying to voice like what it feels like to work with you or to come into your office or whatever it is through the actual pages on social media. Yeah. And another reason why it's a big deal is just because if you look to the giants of 
the entire like Fortune 500 and just all of like how marketing works and is done. 2020, I believe it was over 80% of the digital marketing budgets were spent solely on Facebook and Instagram, like advertising alone. Yeah, and they have some information that a lot of firms don't. They clearly are not spending money because they're guessing. They they know that there's money to be had there. So one example I just wanted to throw in real quickly of that sort of first impression thing that you're talking about, where we know that people are once they have decided to like consider working with you, we know that they, even if they have their, your name and it's a referral, they're going to Google your name or your firm and they're going to go check you out just for some validation in that decision. And so if they land on a page that doesn't support what they are looking for, it's going to be a problem. So for example, this is the story that I love to tell. And this is about when I first kind of was looking for a podcast producer. And Simona, who produces this podcast, is going to love this because I know she's listening and she'll be (laughs) editing this episode later. So hi, Simona. But so I was looking all over and I interviewed a bunch of different companies. And I had found her on social media. Great first impression. She had this really good presence, was saying really good, solid things. And then I landed on her website and it had been hacked. So it first, the first thing that happened was a Ukraine, something about the Ukraine. And then there was, I can't remember that because it's been a few years now. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was getting warnings from Google not to go further. And it was like, really this disjointed experience of feeling really good about this person and being excited to try to schedule a call with her and then thinking, what's going on? Well, luckily, I make websites, so I knew what kind of was going on. But at the same time, I was like, well, what does this mean? What does this mean for working with her? And so I reached out and I said, and I didn't even say first thing that, hey, your website's been hacked because I didn't want it to sound like I was trying to pitch her on like a new website. So, so halfway through the call, she realizes I'm a legitimate, you know, person. I'm not, I'm actually trying to work with her. And I said, by the way, (laughs) your website is a mess right now. And I'm happy to help. I'm not trying to, you know, pitch you my services, but you need to check with your website developer and have that fixed. Anyway, it was sort of this ha ha moment, whatever, but there's a good chance at this time that she was doing really good outreach and trying to pull in leads. And there's a good chance she may have lost one or two leads because people landed on her site and they were like, whoa, back away slowly. So if you have anything like that going on, whether it's like a hack or even something more subtle that like your website hasn't been updated in 10 years or there's you know broken links or there's just something that doesn't quite look great, people are way too quickly going to move on. So we you have to make sure that all those layers in the process are, are solid and good and you're kind of conveying the things that you want to convey all the way through. So so I, I feel like that was a little bit of a departure in the story department. Well, but something yeah. on that too, and I'm like glad you brought that up because I something we try to like train, whether it's prospecting clients or whoever it is on this, you need to be aware that sometimes you might just like want to put a social media post out and be like, oh, it's whatever and put that out and 
you know, you may not give it much thought or anything, but we always yeah. tell people like that could be the very first time someone ever interacts with your brand. And right. so it needs to be something that has quality and has some value to the person. Yes. The same thing could happen. It's like seeing the site being hacked. You just, it's like a turnoff. You don't want to. It's a red flag. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, and one other point that I just wanted to underline there is a lot of times I, when we're in the process of creating a website, I have to point out to firms that oftentimes that homepage is not going to be your first impression. It may be a social media post. It may be something else. But then when they land on your site, it's likely going to be somewhere else in your site. It could be a blog post. It could be some service page or something like that. So once again, to kind of support what you were saying, all of those have to be considered in terms of being a first impression spot. You know, it's, you don't necessarily know the sequence that someone is going to go through your website. It could be that they land on a blog post and click over to your bio page and then they, you know, kind of move around in different ways. So all of those have to assume the first impression kind of yeah. impact. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've kind of talked about why social media is important in terms of supporting that first impression, getting people feeling good about you and, you know, possibly whatever they're, they're looking for. But what the, the topic of the show kind of gives this away a little bit, but in terms of platforms, we keep coming back to LinkedIn for lawyers. And what does LinkedIn provide that is different? And why Why is that such an angle for lawyers as opposed to, you know, I guess the question is, how do you decide on these platforms? And how how do you even know what's, what's the best option? Yeah. So choosing a platform, like the, the biggest thing to consider is where your audience is going to be. Yeah. And so, of course, like everyone and like where they would potentially convert to obviously like most people have a Facebook page and but that doesn't mean that you necessarily should have a Facebook yeah. but LinkedIn kind of has the edge here because they have all of the job roles and descriptions on them you can see other people that are connected to the same person and you get to play on social proof with all of that and social proof is a psychological thing that happens when you see that other people are attracted to a certain like figure or company or whatever it is on a social media platform yeah so I think LinkedIn does a really good job of both of those things, like showing you how many other people are in here. It builds you the validation and the social proof from others because they can see 15 of their connections are also connected to XYZ person. And then that builds up the kind of the confidence and the courage and the person to then reach out to you and inquire about the services. Right. Okay. So, and that's one thing I really like about LinkedIn is their, that, that network effect is very transparent on LinkedIn. You are seeing what your network is liking. So if you are, you and I are connected on LinkedIn and you like something that one of, you know, someone that you are connected to posted, I'm going to see that post, even if I don't know that person because you commented or liked on it. And so that's a little different than the way some of these other platforms work. And it's intentional so that you kind of get those ripples of the that network effect. And it's something to use in your own benefit so that you realize that as you are liking and commenting on other people's stuff and then they come back and do that for you, your stuff is going to get out to a wider audience. So what are some other tips that you have about how to post better I know you had a whole podcast episode on, you know, better posts generally in social mm -hmm. media, but do you have anything specific to LinkedIn or just maybe broadly on how to have your posts be better? 
Yeah. I mean, even just backing up from the post, like making sure the profile is clean is yeah. a huge, huge thing. Making yeah. sure everything in there is accurate and looks very professional. The headshots no updated, yeah. no typos, uh, <laughs> so especially if you're doing their legal work, they're probably going to want to make sure that you have everything uh, put together nicely there. And then as far as like the actual growing your LinkedIn and the content that needs to be going to the actual LinkedIn pages. I mean, LinkedIn has changed a lot just in the last few years. A lot of people thought that the text-based only thing was going to be the one that took over for LinkedIn. And it turns out it's kind of following in suit with Facebook and the other platforms where the video and like multiple images are starting to become the the you know the reigning content the one that the content that performs the best yeah and some of the like even video creation elements where like how to make these videos and how to pull more people into them are seeming to take effect on linkedin as well and linkedin's one of the few platforms where you can kind of get away with graphics more like a graphics based post more than like instagram it won't really fly and yeah facebook it doesn't do as well but linkedin seems to kind of allow for graphic-based posts a lot more, which means you can give people more visual data with text and everything. So you can inform them about your services or here's three reasons why X, Y, Z. And so that's something I think LinkedIn does again well is it allows for the professional networks to leverage that different type of content. Yeah, I think it's funny because I think, you know, what you're kind of alluding to with that, you know, LinkedIn was really trying to be different and they were sort of saying, okay, we're going to try to force you to do a lot of text-based things. They had different rules in terms of like putting links in the actual post versus, you know, you how you see everybody putting the link in the first comment because it does better. And it was just this weird combination of rules and and then they were sort of, opposed a while back opposed to video and graphic and and I just think it was sort of one of those things where it was like that's not how the human brain works <laughs> the yeah, human brain yeah. wants to see graphics and video and it's more compelling your eye is you know the psychology of our brain wants that stuff and LinkedIn is sort of swimming upstream or going against the grain or whatever you want to say in terms of like we don't we don't want to believe that sort of you know and and they just kind of found out the hard way. Well, that's that's just not how it's working. But I have seen more recently, I want to say in the last few weeks, the what you're talking about in terms of like the multi-graphics. So on a Instagram mm-hmm. post, it's more like a carousel post yeah. where it's still images, but almost like a little slideshow and you can swipe through them. And I've seen LinkedIn is putting more emphasis on it. And the reason I know it's more emphasis is because it's bigger. So all of a sudden, I saw some people who I follow do kind of like a carousel post and their graphics were bigger than a video that was right before it. And I was like, oh, okay. So there's something that LinkedIn is trying to push because obviously if they're giving it more real estate, they care more about that thing. And it was really interesting to see that this person, this one I'm thinking about in in particular was doing kind of a, you know, five reasons why X, Y, Z. And then it was just kind of swipe through and it was really, really nicely presented, very clean. And you could tell it was getting some good traction too, because you could just see all the likes and comments and everything. So I, I think... The whole point I'm making there is to come back to your initial comment about 
the evolution of how these things change. So how do we, aside from just kind of going into the the platform and looking around, how do we know and keep on top of all of these changes and this evolution and know when all of a sudden something we're doing is out of date? Yeah, I mean, it's hard without like following some level of a thought leader kind of in the space, and, or if you're just going to like look at all the releases that LinkedIn's putting out. But one really easy way to do this is to find somebody in a similar space as you that does it really well, and then look at the things that they're getting really good engagement on, and then put yeah. your own spin on it and recreate it. There's never any reason to recreate the wheel and when you can just kind of see what's working again it's just like we talked about with the fortune 500 companies if a lot of their budgets starting to go to social media then that means that there's a reason for that and so yeah, yeah just like exactly. if one of their one of a competitor's posts or whatever it is is doing really well and connecting with a lot of people then that means that that type of content worked and that is something that should or could be recreated yeah. Okay. So my next question is about growth and how to do all of that. And I wanted to tie that in with this idea of being more intentional and doing more research in terms of the content. Because I think a lot of people are just kind of haphazard and they're just slapping things together. They're like, okay, you know, what holidays are coming up or, and, and they're not really putting together a content plan. There's no look at the data and the numbers. So how do you, how do you kind of create a system that's planning for growth and then execute that in terms of like what you're actually going to post? Sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the talks I give to, we do like a live Q and A and most people do not have their content planned in advance. They are yeah. coming up with it on the fly. And so that's a big thing that we always have to address. Some of the easier ways, apart from talking about how to make the content, but just getting a content plan together. We always like to work backwards from either a quarter or a, an entire year's calendar standpoint. And so typically we'll plot down the holidays first and you decide which ones you want to participate in. So if you're going to say, hey, I'm going to have six posts this month, go out to LinkedIn or whatever the cadence is. So let's say there's one holiday that month. Okay, there's one checked off. And then you kind of just start working backwards from there. We always like to look at significant like anniversaries or anything like that. So whether it's the company's turning this year old, you know, Jess has been with us for three years now. So let's celebrate that on LinkedIn. Those posts do really well, actually. On yeah, LinkedIn. I've seen the same thing, these team posts and, and lots of photos of, of the team. So not, yeah. you know, the generic stock photos and, you know, photos of faces. Yeah. I mean, and since day one with socials, if you have a face with it in a photo, it will do like two to three times better. If you have a face smiling in the photo yeah. or multiples, it does like six to 10 times better. I mean, there's yeah. hand over fist always that way. So if you can get the team to smile for the camera and <laughs> be like, come Let's on guys, we're, we're going to yeah, yeah. <laughs> be happy for a second. Yeah. It's a reason for happy hour there. Exactly. Once again, though, it comes back to just the basic human psychology. You know, like our eyes are drawn to faces and we want to see happy faces or, you know, Obviously, that's that's what works. But in terms of how do you then take like I get a lot of pushback on the holidays because it seems wasteful until we start looking at the numbers and it's like they those posts do well. Mm -hmm. So how do you make those posts do well in terms of not being generic, not saying the same thing everybody else is saying and and trying to kind of like be there and 
and get the kind of traffic that those posts we we both know those posts do well, but not being boring. Yeah, I mean, number one piece of advice I could give to any professional service uh, provider is do not use stock photos. Just the the everyday consumer sees right through that now. It used to work like 10, 15 years ago, but they just people know now and they yeah. don't want to see that stuff. So it's not going to do well engagement wise. Uh, the other part with holidays is you have to understand that like this is a higher point for people to engage because there's less people working. So during like a Thanksgiving holiday or a Christmas holiday or whatever it is, there's more user attention going to these platforms and the phones. And so we want to make sure that we are getting content out for the holidays that are applicable to the business that we have because there's just going to be more user attention. So why not be able to take some of that? Right. Okay. So how do you get... You get the difference between having views versus having the conversions on those holiday things, or do you typically just say these holiday ones are mainly just for that top of the funnel view attention kind of thing. And then we're going to try to get, use a different kind of a post for the actual engagement and, and conversion. What do you typically, what's the usual approach for that kind of a post? Yeah, I would say these are honestly like top and bottom of the funnel. And when I say bottom, I don't mean conversions, but pass that to the advocacy stage to where oh, somebody yes. that's already connected with you and knows yes. you personally, you've worked with them in a case, whatever it may be, they can then see that it, they relate to it and then maybe share that back out to their following. And then you're top of funnel for the new people that saw the repost. Oh, that's a great piece of advice. So the very, very top of your funnel, just to kind of have a marketing 101 moment is going to be people who are just becoming aware of you and they may have a problem. They're not ready to take action. So that could be useful for these holiday posts just to kind of be out there saying something nice and friendly and somehow make it memorable. Like, you know, obviously if it's Thanksgiving, it's not just like happy Thanksgiving. Let's say something a little bit more interesting, yeah, yeah. maybe a great quote, make it well-designed that fits within your brand. But then what Rich is saying is that the very bottom of your funnel, which are people who have already gone through the entire, your entire system, they've become a client and now they are in that advocate referral happy past client category. And they are just being reminded that, oh, hey, I remember that your company exists. And I was having a conversation with this other person, and they needed something like that. And so this just reminded me that I need to pass your name to that other person, or maybe I need to get in touch with you for, you know, some other thing, or whatever. And so those are the two people you're thinking of when you're thinking of your holiday posts, you're thinking of brand brand new people who are just you know opening their eyes to your firm but then also your favorite best clients who have already are already fully aware and have already converted i think yep. that's really interesting to kind of think of those two buckets yeah we say that all the time like if you're going to go make a post think of like your top 3 favorite customers or clients yeah. and like curate the post directly for them like what would bob like if yes. he were to get on here and see this yeah. because there are more bobs out there and they will resonate with it and connect with it as well yeah and 
and if you need to, yes, open it to where it's not like an inside joke, of course, where somebody <laughs> yeah. coming in hey, top Bob, of funnel can. Remember that time? <laughs> <laughs> it's just between you and Bob. But to where somebody else that's just coming in, yes, first ever exposure to you can still yeah. see that and resonate with it and then engage with it, start to go through the engagement process. That's such a good piece of advice too, because then that will also be more interesting and unique. Because if you're talking to Bob, you're going to say something more specific than just happy Thanksgiving. It's, hey, Bob, we talked about this one thing that somehow relates to Thanksgiving, or maybe Bob had a great quote about Thanksgiving, or, you know, whatever it might be, you're going to say something about Thanksgiving to Bob that might potentially also ripple out to other Bob-like people. Yeah. And just be real. Like if you have, if you had a like potluck at the office or something like people like to see that you're a human and are not just always that suit and tie ready to come in and like dominate in the courtroom or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like they like to know that there are other things going on in the office and that you're an actual human being and they typically enjoy that type of content. And then yeah, put the spin on it and curate it for Bob. Totally. Okay. So to come back to this idea of LinkedIn and the topic is like, you know, is it even, is it kind of oversaturated or overrated? I do think that there's a lot of people who are struggling on LinkedIn to have any kind of results. And so my question is, there's there's a lot of pay for play on LinkedIn. There's ads, you can pay for, you know, premium subscriptions. And My question is what you think about that and if that gives certain firms who can afford big advertising budgets, does that give them this unfair advantage? And what can a smaller firm or someone who just isn't interested in doing all of that, what can you do in in that case where it's like, I want to show up, but I don't want to, I don't want to do all that. I don't want to, you know, throw a big advertising budget, or I just can't even compete with that other firm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the advertising tools that I've used inside of LinkedIn over the last like year and a half or so, they have this, I forget what it's called, the something navigator. I think it's the navigator. Just the navigator. Yeah. Or something like, yeah. You know, like we've put pretty much a boatload of money into these things and we don't typically see like a high ROI if it's even trackable. I would recommend, and this kind of like is a two-in-one answer for the little guy who can't afford it as well. Like I would spend the time or the money on the actual content instead of getting paying for the connection program or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, We had a client just recently use Connected. It's like spelled with a K. And he was like, hey, can you go in here and clean this up for me? It does a cold outreach. And then after three days, it sends him another message. And then after five days, it sends him another one. I was like, dude, that just annoys people, honestly. Yes. Like, that's not the way to go about trying to that's get That's a surefire way to get in their spam folder. I mean, it's, yeah. and I just think those are typically not great, well done enough that you can't see through it. You know, you can pretty much tell it's automated, it's not well written, and you're just irritating. Yeah. And if you're like me and most LinkedIn users, you get a few of those per day. So most people just immediately look the other way and Mm -hmm. kind of go on their day. I'd say the better way to do that, which is the non-automation way, is actually spending the time to figure out who you have mutual connections between and then trying to lean on those. It's just like what they've said since the beginning of time. It's who you know, not what you know, right? So it's like finding those similarities between people and then being able to try to capitalize on on them in a way that makes sense and is respectful to all three parties. 
Yeah, I feel like it's it is kind of the answer nobody wants to hear though, because yeah. it's it's kind of like SEO for us. There there's a lot of firms that feel like that's this golden ticket and they really just want to say, "Okay, how much can I pay you for this to be happening and I want it like tomorrow." <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's put like, me on well, top. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, that's just not how the world goes. And and also if you're on LinkedIn and you're sending out all these spammy messages, it's very likely that you're going to be dinged because I'm regularly, probably similar to what you were describing, I'm regularly getting people from all over the world trying to offer me SEO services or work on my team or something like that. And I'm I'm always reporting them because it's super yeah. annoying. And I want LinkedIn to have some sort of algorithm around like, stop, stop sending these people my way. And but what you were describing in terms of finding the people you're connected to, I've also had that experience. And it's so much better when I have a mutual connection, say, not long ago, I had someone send me a guest for this podcast. And it was someone I knew. And they said, hey, you know, here's someone I think that would be great. Here's why. Here's the connection. I don't normally do this, but here's why I'm sending it to you. And it was. And I never probably would have connected with that person because they would have come across as sort of salesy. And I would have just immediately pushed them over to the side. But in, by having them, you know, kind of introduce with that middle person, it was a surefire thing. I was like, okay, yeah, if you're coming with the recommendation of this other person, different story. Yeah. And having someone vouch for you, I mean, that's the strongest marketing lead you can possibly get. You know, we call those hot leads. Like if someone right. is going to refer you to another business, you have X amount of time to capitalize on that. And it's the best kind of lead that you can get is when it's directly introduced from somebody who is actually used and benefited from your service. Another thing too, I feel like a lot of people sleep on when it comes to the LinkedIn growth and like trying to do all that stuff is when you attend the chamber events or the, or like any of these events you're going out to, it is not fun to collect business cards and to go yes. find these people on LinkedIn. Yeah. But it, again, it takes time and it's not the automated answer that everyone wants it to be, but those are some of the easiest and like best connections you can find. Like I have a men's retreat coming up this weekend. I'm going to get learn everybody's names. I'm going to, you know, whether I get their phone number or whatever it is, and then I'm going to go find them and try to connect with them and see if we can like work together at some capacity totally. and just elevate the relationship to a, kind of the working level. And I think that applies across like most industries. Yeah, of course. One quick little tip I was going to add about LinkedIn is there's a cool little QR code that you can do from your profile. Have you seen this? I think so. Yeah. You go into, and I'll put the link in the show notes about how to do that, but you go into your profile, there's a button somewhere that basically like gives, pops up a QR code. And so if you're standing next to someone at a networking event, you can just hold up your phone. They, you know, pop on the QR code and then you're instantly connected on LinkedIn, which like you mentioned a minute ago, God, business cards are so annoying. <laughs> They're so like 1965, you know, like when are we going to yeah. be done with these? It's such an ancient way of networking and you always and have your phone not you the always have business your phone, cards sometimes and it doesn't tell you anything and then the likelihood of you losing it or not following up is pretty high so you know if you just convert to that idea of the qr code 
Or if you have to carry a business card, because I do know that a lot of lawyers still do this, put a QR code on your business card that goes to your LinkedIn profile. A lot of my clients will put it to their website, but that's not as functional in my opinion, because if someone clicks on your LinkedIn profile and connects with you, you then get an alert. If they go to your website, you don't get anything. There's no actual alert or activity that tells you that something's happening. So you get that alert through LinkedIn and now you've got that alert that you can follow up on. Yeah. So now you've got some action and it makes it much easier. You know, and then you've got like homework at that point to do because exactly. it's now time to post that content that we were talking about because there's no point in going and making all these connections if you're not going to then like pump stuff over to do them. something. <laughs> we, we call them like when I'm really dumbing it down for people, I'm like, think of like a magazine subscription. Yeah. If someone subscribes to your issue and then you never deliver a magazine, that's yes. not a good subscription. And so it's like you need to be able to put out those issues and make them something right. that people want to read or engage with online. And so that's... I like that example it. too, because I feel like people are worried that they're going to come across as salesy or like a used car salesman when they do that. But in your example, it's, hey, you subscribe to my magazine. You're asking me for information. And if I've got good quality posts that are really valuable, and I know in some way it can be helpful by not giving it to you, I'm not fulfilling your subscription. So I'm kind of finalizing that interaction by sending you the information that we discussed and giving you your next issue as, you know, in air quotes. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So let's talk about the future, <laughs> the future of easy topic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And of course, no topic of the future is left without the conversation of AI. But I've seen so much controversy. It seems like the last few months, especially. So where do you see this all going? There's so much controversy about AI and how that all plays into social media and whether that makes things more or less functional. What's what's your take on all that? I think that LinkedIn and like honestly, even like Indeed, like hiring platforms are going to need to adopt something similar to Twitter's like verification thing, where once yeah. they establish that you're an organization, you get the yellow check mark or whatever it is. Because how frustrating would it be if you're vetting applicants on Indeed or something, and half of them are robots that could oh maybe gosh. fulfill the the tasks that you're like putting out there to be done. But, yeah. and it's kind of the same with LinkedIn. It's, you know, if you're just constantly getting on any social platform and you're getting served just nothing but AI content, yeah. the human mind does not like that. Like we don't like the idea of it right now and maybe in the future, but at the moment, like people don't like the thought of that all happening. Some tangible things right now that you can do with AI, everyone knows, or for the most part, everyone knows about ChatGPT is using ChatGPT to just help you get content ideas. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people aren't familiar with like the functionality aspect of ChatGPT, you know, when you make a new chat inside of ChatGPT, it forgets everything that you've told it in the other chats. And so right. what I like to remind people is when you open a chat with ChatGPT, have one just for the content content planning and creation and continue to come back to that same chat because it gets smarter and smarter through every new prompt that you're giving it. Oh, that's great advice. It's like Google. It's like if you went into Google and it every single time you went to search for something, it you had never searched for anything in the past and it had no history of what you, you know, where you are, what you've searched for, you know, exactly. all of the, that information that Google is using to give you all those results. Um, 
Do you see that changing in the future with ChatGPT? Man, there's so much coming with ChatGPT. If you follow TechCrunch on Instagram or any of these like companies that are just like nose down and just following it as closely as possible, it is so yeah. hard to keep up with. I think all the way up to fulfilling like contracts being created from lawyers going to AI all the way yeah. down to just like simple tasks being done. So many things are about to change inside of the the landscape of just the entire world. And yeah, you know, they and Sam Altman said this, the CEO of ChatGPT, you know, he thought it was going to be the like factory line worker jobs and all that kind of stuff that was going to be taken first. And the very last thing to go would be the creative aspect. And the entire thing is flipped on itself. Yes. And it's the other way around now, yeah. which is absolutely insane. So it's the job security aspect of it all. You know, it's honestly pretty frightening. But if we are in the right hands of who's making these tools and creating them, we should look up to the future and have something good coming to us. Yeah, I think that's really true. I think it, it is going to be fascinating. We can all take guesses about what what's going to happen a year or five years from now. But who knows? Because there's going to be so many variations. I mean, who knows where Sam Altman may even be if he, you know, he was at Microsoft for like five minutes and then he's yeah. back. And you know, yeah. like there's so many different things that that could change. But it does seem like the thing I keep hearing is this this kind of layer of proofreading, for lack of a better word, so that there needs to, at this point, basically still be a human touch. And so what you were describing earlier about using it for ideas, using it to get you started, using it for that initial kind of momentum, and then using your own human brain for to fine tune it. So that's the piece that I keep looking at, like, where is that going to go? That that kind of top level refinement, adding tone, adding context, adding personality, mm-hmm. all of that stuff on top, if if where where that's going to come in. And I don't I, 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 I don't think it's going to be very long before all of a sudden there's going to be things that can emulate tone and emulate personality. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine like lawyers, especially, you know, you can, you can upload documents to chat GPT. So you could in theory put in all laws across the entire United States, individual States. It can look up case laws for you based on the case you're working on. Yeah. I mean, it could do tens and tens of hours of research in 15 minutes or less. Like you've seen it work at seconds most of the time. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's insane. It is. Where do you tend to use it, if you use it, the most in terms of just social media posts and that side of getting the work done? So we've trained our own GPT model. So we can use that for curating content. So we can put in a business name, its location, and what we're looking for. And it will start to just scrounge the internet for ideas and then pull together a big list for us. Nice. And then as you mentioned, the human touch comes in where we actually need to, is this viable or not to actually pull forward and make it a post or what blog post, email, blast, whatever it is, and then pull that forward. The other part is, yeah, just proofreading. Like you had mentioned earlier, like, hey, I'm going to, I just recorded this whole blog or this whole podcast episode. I'm having it transcribed. I need you to go through and make it grammatically correct. And then we still have someone actually proofread it after that. But the point being is it does a lot of the legwork for us hey. here in office saving it's a time saver for the most it part it is yeah yeah and i think to pretend like 
it's not useful or you're scared of it is is foolish. It's kind of like the beginning of the internet when people were, you know, thinking all these bad things. But at the same time, kind of be aware of where the limitations are and what you need to do in order to make it really effective. Otherwise, once again, we're back to this idea of boring generic posts that aren't going to work. And then you're just like standing there with your head scratching thinking, I don't know why, you know, ChatGPT like did all my blog posts. and I don't know why it's not working. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, it is time for the book review. So if you haven't checked out our library, we've got an amazing library of all the books that our guests have recommended that are typically kind of related in some way to the topics we're talking about. So there's tons of really good options if you're looking for something to spend some time. And then you can also cross-reference the episode to see why we thought that was a good one. So Rich, what's the book that you have to recommend today? So the book I've got is The Culture Code. I believe it's by Daniel Coyle, if I'm saying that correctly. And the book mainly focuses on like building teams, but not in the way that you typically would find in a like secrets to success book or something like that. It's more about like creating safe spaces for people, the vulnerabilities, the personality differences and the aspects that come into effective teams and making sure that the team basically is putting out the best work possible, but because of the culture that you're providing, there was a Harvard study that I think I just heard this the other day from Alex, Leah Hermosi, the Alex Hermosi's wife. And she was saying there was a Harvard study and it was like two elite companies basically against each other. One was filled with Ivy League graduates and the other only had a handful of them. And the company without it, without all the Ivy League students had outperformed them almost two to one. And it was due to the culture analysis. They oh, had a way that. higher score on that. And so there's a lot to say when it comes to being being excited to come to work, having it being a pleasant place to come to around good yeah. people. And whether you're leading a law firm or whatever it is, like people want to want to come to work. They want to enjoy what they're doing and relate to others. And so this book goes through a lot of psychological aspects inside of that and just like really making sure that you as the boss are coming in every day with what needs to happen to build an effective like actual culture for the company. I feel like this actually really ties into social media because we were talking about platforms and and kind of briefly touched on, you know, how to choose the right one and we really focused in on LinkedIn. But there are different cultures on these different social media platforms. And so to find the the one where your posts and your information and everything that you're sharing is resonating and people are actually listening and commenting. And I, I, you know, our agency is present on most of the platforms, but we put a very significant difference in time on the different platforms based on what we see that's work, what we see that works. So, you know, we know that, that we can spend a lot more time on LinkedIn that'll pay off and probably Instagram. And then we're going to be present on these other platforms, but you know, not a lot is going on there. We're still going to be present. It's some nice kind of, you know, just to be there and get, get a little bit of traffic, but where we focus our effort and our time is where we kind of feel that culture and where we see that people are paying attention and interacting. And so all of that is important just in general in kind of building a business, in finding where your people are. And then once you figure that out, that is like, if there is a golden ticket in terms of marketing, that pretty much is it. Like finding the right people and the having- community. 
Yes. And then, but where they are going to also be an audience where they're listening and they're interacting and they care about what you're saying. And then you're putting out good stuff. So it's not just yeah. like the stock photos and the AI. Yeah. We have content. clients sometimes who are like, well, what I do is boring. And I'm like, not to everyone. You know what I mean? Like you just have to find the, the right audience for it. Yeah. Somebody needs it today. Like whatever you're doing, somebody needs, otherwise you don't have a job, right? So yeah. like somebody yeah. <laughs> needs what you're doing. And so speak to that person, you know, and you're not speaking to every person on the planet. You're not, this was another question I kind of ran out of time for, but this idea of going viral is not a great idea. Like that is, especially for law firms, No, you shouldn't want to go viral, right? Because you're basically just gonna have this influx of garbage, people who are yeah. not your ideal client, you're gonna waste time and money. So that is not the goal. It's the opposite. It's to find the opposite of viral, whatever that word might be, and to find those people and those core people who actually care and need your services. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Post for yeah. Bob. You know, you want you want qualified leads, not anyone that's out there. So, I, well, I agree. the last question I was going to ask you is, you know, one thing that you know that works, and I feel like that might be it. But, 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 let me let you answer that question. Yeah. What is one thing that you know that really works? So, yeah, again, yeah, post for Bob, that's great. But kind of tying back into the culture code too, like just be, you can be vulnerable on social media, like be real, and yeah. it it will pay off. And like, if you can be the face of the brand that you're putting out there, if a lot of people don't like to stomach it, but once you get over the camera shyness and all that yeah. stuff, I had to do it starting the podcast. You may have had to do the same thing. Yeah, I hate the way I sound and all that stuff, but it's like right. when you get over that and you start to worry about the people and not yourself, the people that you're trying to speak to and to help, that's when, yeah. that's when the whole thing switches yeah. and it really starts to become effective. 100%. And the only thing I would add there is this idea of being vulnerable. It doesn't mean you have to dance. It doesn't mean you have to like be yeah. weird and do like, I know this, that ice bucket challenge isn't a thing anymore, but you know, that, that kind of thing. It, you don't have to do all that. You don't have to follow all those trends. It just means, you know, be real, like you were saying, in a way that connects with those people you're trying to connect with. So think about what you say and do in those initial calls or those initial meetings and how you really get to the heart of what they need. And that's it. It doesn't have to be like, you know, you singing or dancing or doing any of those weird things. Like keep it within the box of you being a lawyer. <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's, we you don't, don't need any TikTok dances. Yeah, Let's exactly. leave that for the kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Rich Hake is the president and founder of Alpha Social Media. This was so useful and helpful. And I feel like we covered a lot in terms of kind of theory, but also real practical suggestions and what not to do. So thank you so much for being here. We will link to all of your social profiles and your website and all of that good stuff that we talked about on the show page. But thanks again. This was a great episode. Yes. Thank you so much, Karin. You were a fantastic host and I was glad to be a part of it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.